Welcome to Greenlight Pod. I'm your host, Chris Long. Um, hope everybody's doing all right out there. We've got Joe Buck here today with me and Making Gunner. Uh, Joe Buck is going to talk about his experience as a play-by-play guy, some of his favorite calls, and one he almost screwed up. Uh, we're also going to talk about our favorite play-by-play stuff, uh, our favorite calls we're going to talk about in lieu of Tom Brady's trip down south uh, to Tampa. The weirdest athlete jersey combinations usually these are coming towards the end, the twilight of our favorite athletes' careers. We're gonna rank those. And then we're also gonna to get to mailbag of sorts. I asked, I asked people to uh, share their drunkest uh, or most off the wall sports take on our new hotline. So uh, let's fire that thing up. I get Corona, I get Corona. At the end of the day, I'm not gonna let it stop me from partying. You know, I've been waiting. We've been waiting for Miami spring break for a while. About two months we've had this trip planned. Two, three months. So we're just out here having a good time. Whatever happens, happens. Like it's really messing up with my spring break. What is there to do here other than go to the bars or the beach and they're closing all of it? It's really messing up. I think they're blowing it way out of proportion. I think it's doing way too much. Doing us bad. We need a refund. This virus ain't that serious. It's serious. It's more serious things out there like hunger and poverty, and we need to address yes, that. Yeah, I mean, we planned this a long time ago, and it was kind of up in the air if we still go, but like we're here. I just turned 21 this year, so I'm here to party, so it's kind of disappointing, but we're just making the most of it. We met these other people in our little Airbnb spot, so we're just hanging out with them and trying to get drunk before everything closes. I mean, it sucks, but. We're gonna make the best of it. We're enjoying ourselves. It sucks. And I'm from New Orleans, so this really sucks. However, we're gonna enjoy ourselves. We having day parties all day. It's my birthday, St. Patrick's Day. Turn up. We're just trying to roll with the boy. We're just living for the moment. We're just going for, we're just gonna do what happens, when it happens. When stuff closes, we're gonna do when it closes. But uh, uh, besides that, we're just trying to have the best trip we can. There's a lot that I want to happen to those kids. I'm not gonna say I want them to get the pandemic, okay? I can draw a straight line from coronavirus to hunger and poverty. Yeah, I, I mean- I don't know if these folks really wanna have a conversation about it. <laughs> I don't know that there were many intellectuals no. in that group. Uh, now you stick a microphone in my face when I'm drunk, I might slur my words, but I won't say anything that utterly fucking stupid. Um, I hope that they all go broke. Uh, I hope that they age terribly. It looks like some of them are off to a good start. These people were born in the early 2000s. Gen Z. Gen Z. Gen Z, you've got one test. You're failing it. I'm going to hang this over your head as I live long and in prosperity, hopefully God willing. Uh, I'm gonna, I am going to hang this over your head for the next 50 years. Um, and I'm not going to let you get away with it. You're essentially the boomers, but just younger. Like boomers have done a lot of bad shit. They've let a lot of bad things happen. They also did some good things. Like so far, the scorecard is all bad for you guys due to spring break 2020. I hope that you guys get chlamydia. Wow. At a high rate. Holy smokes. On spring break. Wow. I hope that the elevator door at your cheap hotel 
closes on your hand mm. and it doesn't move, but like it's really inconvenient and you can't, and you're stuck in the elevator and you're drunk and your friends are puking on you. I hope that something happens to your elevator. Not bad enough that you get hurt. And again, the chlamydia thing, I think you can clear that up relatively easily. I'm sure they've had it before, a lot of the people in the, that video. Um, I hope you crash your scooters, your bird scooters. I hope that they get wobbly and you crash them into the street on Ocean Boulevard, um, which is empty because nobody who's fucking got enough money to own a car is actually out in the street. It's just you broke spring breakers down there because you spent, you spent $200 on a hotel room for five nights. Net is how much you're spending. You can't recoup that money. It's your parents' money. You don't have to go on spring break. I hope that you fall and impale yourself with a selfie stick, but not mortally wounded. I hope it's just annoying and you get like tetanus. To be fair, the one woman is from New Orleans. I don't so give it, a shit. It, it, as she said, it really sucks for her. Yeah, because if you hadn't noticed, 38% of people tested yesterday uh, in the state of Louisiana, which is, if you're not familiar with that, that's the state that you live in, um, tested positive for, uh, for coronavirus. I hope that you people get home safely and don't infect anybody. I don't really wish anything ill on you guys, but you could imagine what it would be like if I did. I hope that at the very least you get bad grades whenever you get back, when you go back to school. I think that's safe to say. And I don't think I have to hope or will that to happen. I think judging by the brilliance of some of the people on that video, uh, it's gonna happen. Yeah. Welcome to episode 32. Uh, the person sniffling during this episode will be Chris. Yeah, I, right. yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. am not. Yeah, but yeah. you're fine. You're just always congested. I'm pretty much perpetually congested. You got ragweed. Got ragweed. Got, got, got Maui Wowie. Got... <laughs> Okay. Got Shark Shock. You hadn't heard of that one. I haven't heard of any. Of I got them, all the things. I got all the context. I got clues. all the things. Um, you're one of the first human beings I've seen. Likewise. In the last week. Yeah. Outside of my lovely family. Yeah. Um, it's nice to get outside, and yet I think we're doing the prudent thing by quarantining. Yeah, we haven't really touched. No, no, I can attest to that. Um, but this isn't spring break, we're actually making content. I mean, this isn't some useless, selfish exercise. Uh, the people need content, we're gonna give it to you. This is episode 32. While you're staying home, hopefully. Yeah, for the most part. Uh, Listening to this on your walk around the block. Yeah, yeah, get a little fresh air if you can, but you know, limit your interaction. Yeah. I'd hate to wish terrible things on you like I just did to those Useless 19-year-olds. <laughs> okay, okay, boomer. Okay, okay future, boomer. Future leaders of, well. Uh, luckily, I won't have to worry about that. I'll be long gone, hopefully. If any of those people by the... I mean, hey. Im imagine, imagine trying to run for president. I guess, <laughs> I guess the bar is pretty fucking low right now. But imagine being like... You could become a genius by way of a miracle. Your IQ could skyrocket in the next 10 years. Maybe they have a drug 
like uh, homeboy from so Brad uh, Brad Cooper took in Limitless, and you could make God could make those kids smart, or modern medicine could make those kids smart. You can't take that video away, right? Just like probably if I ever run, wanted to run for president, me wishing chlamydia on nineteen-year-olds might. It'd Although be on I, the list. I It'd be pretty far down the list, though. Yeah, yeah, there's other things. Yeah. Did you do you know what a sleep stream is? Nah. Folks that we just showed on TikTok, which is a thing, they go to sleep with their mobile devices on, and people watch them sleep and basically hang out in the chat room watching the person sleep. I read about this in the New York Times uh, this morning. Um, while having breakfast, and I, I was I'm dumbfounded as I am now, speechless. Were you talking? Not much or well. A sleep stream. Strangers <laughs> these, are watching you sleep. These and people, talking. these people, these young people are uh, officially aliens. Okay, they're officially aliens, and I know it wasn't in vogue to dislike young people because generally young people's political ideals line up um, relatively well with the people calling the shots on the internet, what's taboo, what's not. Um, but young people, you have just, you've just crossed the line. You have absolutely crossed the line. You had one fucking job. Stay at home and we can shoot for spring break 2021. 2021 spring break, it's going to be there. Let me, t let me give you a, um, a piece of advice. Every bar night that I ever thought that it would be a travesty if I missed, it turned out it wasn't that big a deal. Like, I'm still doing that at 34, okay? My friends are like, hey, we're going out to watch basketball tonight. Like, hey, you know, you got to talk to your lovely wife, Meg. Yeah. Megan's got to talk to his lovely wife, Kate. That's right. Never gets old. Um, you, you have to fight for it a little bit, okay? You, get, you, gotta, you gotta fight for your right to party. And I understand that sometimes you're looking and you're saying, oh, if I don't do this spring break, I'll never get another one. Well, that might be true for some of you morons in that video because you know once your parents cut you off, presumably they'll probably pay for you until you're 30 and then completely give up on you. Um, <laughs> I'm just telling you that at 19, I said a lot of dumb shit. There's still time to come back from this. But step one would be to stop doing what you're doing and stop ruining the world. I'm on board. Uh, green light pod number 32. Welcome. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Uh, you want to go through our number 32s? I'd be happy to. It's I feel an old like custom. I've been going first a lot. Yeah, you have. You're also wearing my number 30, which I think is a sign of respect, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I had this shirt long before you picked uh, Sheed. Yeah, and I noticed you didn't pick Sheed. We do no, this, I didn't. We I did this in secret. I like to keep things fair, uh, and I didn't think it would be fair if I picked a guy that I have a shirt of. I would have just worn the shirt and dominated the podcast. Right, okay. Bill, Bill Walton. Oh, yeah. nice. Bill Walton. Bill Walton is my number 32. There's Bill Walton looking like a human eighth of Maui Wowie. That's the second Maui Wowie uh, reference. The personification of the dankest bud, as the kids say. Um, and that's him with his shirt off <laughs> as he's matriculated into what young people know him as the guy uh, shouting on Pac-12 games. 
Yeah, he's he's doing a real job there with Pash. So I think he's remarkable at what he does because there's so many college basketball games. Of course, for those of you who don't know, Bill Walton's a million-time champion, not just at UCLA, uh, also a Finals MVP, um, multiple-time champion, couple-time All-Star in the uh, NBA. Hell of a personality. Um, legendary Grateful Dead fan. They call him Grateful Red. Um, he's known as the tallest deadhead. If I read this correctly, he actually traveled with the band to play in Egypt in front of the pyramids in 78 and actually got on stage a little bit. Uh, he also likes the Allman Brothers, uh, a number of groups he's he's really into. But the thing I love that he does most, and I could give a shit less about his basketball, but I guess that's what allows him to do what he does now, is his, his, his uh, color commentary. It's zany, it's off the wall. There's moments, you know, um, I watched a game before shit hit the fan here and uh, I heard him say conference of champions probably 36 times yeah. uh, during the broadcast. There's quirky things like that. You know, he'll, he'll do callbacks to like Michelangelo. He thanked Michelangelo on his death date, 1561 or whatever it was. Um, and Pash is sitting there like, Pash has the hardest job in sports. I mean, he's like, how do I relate or play ping pong with you and keep the ball in the air? And you're talking about Michelangelo. We got to go to a TV timeout. I think it's turned. I think he struggled with it legitimately at first. And now it's just stay out of his way, mention time and score occasionally, and then get to break. <laughs> it's, it's, I read a passion interview where he was like, on game day, Bill is my enemy. He views me as his enemy. <laughs> And it's hilarious when you when you watch a game and listen to them and they're great together because you're really not sure if at any point Pash will actually begin disliking Bill. Um, and I think, you know, it's gotta be annoying to be Pash because the very act of doing games with, with Bill makes you elite, but whenever he's interviewed, the first question is what about Bill Walton, you know? Yep. You wonder if he ever wants to go out on his own uh, and see what's on the other side of it. But, but we might know Dave Pash's name right now because of Bill Walton. So We might. We might. But I also, don't think, tide. I also don't think you're right. That's a great point. But I, I also don't think that a lot of people could do what, what Bill's been able to do. And, yeah. And that's keep the ball in the air with a guy like, like Dave, Bill. Dave, Bill, sorry, Dave. Dave. Bill Walton. Keep the ball in the air with a guy like Bill. Um, you know, there's there's him eating a candle on air. Did you ever see that? No. Google him eating a cupcake whole with a lit candle. Oh. Um, you know, he took his shirt off on air. He, he's done baseball wearing tie-dye. Just him doing baseball could save baseball. Um, 80-game season might save baseball, too. 80-game season might, might save baseball. Um, and actually, that's something we could ask uh, Joe Buck mm. about. We've got Joe Buck coming on in a bit. Um, he's attended over 850 dead shows. I mean, I could go on and on about this guy. I love him to death. He is, as people say, and they throw this around a lot, a national treasure. Agreed. Great pick. My pick is a guy who I think is synonymous with number 32. It's Magic Johnson, born chalk. Yeah, it is. It is. But so was 23 with MJ. Um, Magic was born August 14th, 1959 in Lansing, Michigan. 
attended Michigan State. Six foot. How tall do you think Magic Johnson is? Six foot eight. Six foot nine is what he was listed at, so you're probably right. 215 pounds. Nine-time All-NBA first team. Five-time NBA champion. Three-time MVP. His highlights are nuts. Yeah. Internet, Magic Johnson, highlights. He's a, dare I say, virtuoso out there, Chris. Yeah, it's like the ball's attached to his hand. Like. Yeah. And we kind of missed him because he retired for the first time in 91. So it wasn't quite our wheelhouse. We remember him playing, but it wasn't. Wait, did he retire the first time because of the virus? Yeah. Now, I remember that. I mean, I'm, if it was 91, yes. I yep. mean, I faintly remember it. And in my kid brain, I'm like, geez, this guy's sick. Like, so sick. Is this thing so bad that you can't play basketball? But, yeah, we did miss him. Yeah. I, by the way, I saw this week on Twitter somebody saying, uh, can you just imagine being a 98 baby going through all the things we've gone through? And the first thing they mention is 9-11 in the year 2001. When they were three? Yeah, they didn't go through that. And everybody in the comments is like, yo, born in 96 over here. Don't remember that. Don't born remember in it at all. Yeah. I, I describe Y2K to people, and we're in a bit of a Y2K level hysteria and, and more and more founded, it turns out. Um, but yeah, that's that. you didn't go through that. Get uh, the fuck out of here. Reed, do you have a second picture queued up? Oh, so yeah, that's a good one. I look like a wax figure here. This is We all made some bad filter decisions in our day on IG. <laughs> so good. But this is at Madison Square Garden, a picture of Magic and me. Uh, this was Sweet 16 in the year uh, 2015. 15? I mean, that's what it sounds like. And what's funny to me is, and I do this a lot, if I'm drinking, I don't remember who I was with unless it was a really personal setting. There were a few of us there. I was going to say, hey, I met Magic that one time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 2014. Um, I shouldn't that was a That was a heck of a trip, though. That was shouldn't forget things like that. That was your birthday. There was a terrible, terrible ending. That's the one game in the last 12, 13 years that I haven't worked. I attended as a fan. So you got to work lost. them all now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Magic went to, he was going bathroom, and I was going bathroom. And I'm like, you can't ask for a picture. Not and, in the bathroom. No. So um, he wraps up. I wrapped up 30 seconds later. Couldn't find him. Like, damn. Well. Missed my chance, but at least I didn't ask Magic Johnson for a picture in the stall. Right. And then he come. he... I don't know. The the bowels of MSG, when you got the good seats, there's some, as uh, Spike Lee would know, um, there are lots of different <laughs> there's portals a lot of different and tunnels. Entrances. And we meet back up a couple minutes later. I'm like, magic, magic. And that's a selfie. And magic, as you saw, is looking nowhere near my nah. telephone. Um, Air horn went off, probably. Yeah, I think it did. Bam. Yep. Just yep. like that. That's all it was. Yeah. Had nothing to do with you. Nah, Brian O'Connell had a rough game as an official that game i'll always remember you screaming <laughs> we had pretty good seats and you are just berating this cat yeah well to um, be fair he blew the game he did tevin jones got fouled uh so my 32 is wow. magic johnson tevin jones what a callback yeah magic's where's tevin jones from tevin jones is from uh north carolina high point i believe yeah, yeah. cool Keep up with him on the social. Nice. Shout out to Tevin Jones. Hey, Tev. Magic's <laughs> wife, uh, her name is Cookie. Yeah. Which is cool. And uh, 
He's my 32. Yeah, he's great. The iconic 32. So, yeah. uh, great. And, you know, personal friend, friend of the program. That's right. And we tend to mention a couple other 32s. Herb Williams, I thought would be good for you. You don't meet a lot of herbs anymore. Mm, mm -mm. Uh, although I want to shout out our pastor, uh, who I hope is not listening to the, uh, the pod up in Philly, Herb Lusk. Great dude. Uh, God, I just shouted him out, which, which, which is bad because now people are going to say, hey, Chris was listening, was, was shouting you out on the pod, and no. then they're going to see the beginning of the, Herb's going to see the beginning. Yeah. Herb, I love you. Yeah. I don't love those 19-year-olds. Uh, that was that's wrong what they're doing uh marcus allen another 32 yeah when we were kids um big howie's phone was lying out at some point yeah and so you look through the contacts big howie's not watching no either um i might have you guys are doing a good job good good pod i might have come across marcus allen's phone number oh, yeah. at some point <laughs> yeah gave him a ring one time went to voicemail the the best the most kind wait you took Marcus Allen's number off my dad's phone and then called him? Yeah. I was like 15. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you leave a voicemail? No. It w I probably would have, but it was the kindest recording I've ever yeah. heard. I mean, just hoping we had the best days yeah. and God blessing us. And it yeah. was like, wow, Marcus Allen's a great guy. I'm not going to nice guy. Yeah, don't prank don't, voicemail. Don't, uh, what do they call it when you ring... Ring dong ditch. Ring and run. Now we did used to, we did our fair share of high school prank and we can get into that in another time. We used yeah. to toilet paper stuff. Yeah. We used to egg houses and there's still some residents here in Seaville, Virginia. Is this something you want to leave off the pod? Uh, maybe. Okay. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, let's see what we got on the dog today. We have too much NFL news. I'm bored with it. Okay. Cowboy Reed. We got uh, Chris Harris going to the Chargers. We got... If you hadn't heard about Tom Brady, welcome from under the rock you've been living under. We'll, we're we're going to get to that in a little bit when we talk about strangest uniform combinations. Uh, for Oh, yeah. Fowler to the Falcons. Nice pickup. I like him. I think it's three years, 48 mil. He did incorrectly tweet the Eagles emoji. Hmm. Uh, he said 56 for the birds with an eagle emoji. And I'm like, that's you. That's me, dude. What the fuck? Um. Who else got who else got got moved? Oh yeah, uh, Whitworth uh, got read up in uh, in L.A. He's gonna keep making money till he's like forty three. Foles to the Bears. Yeah, I heard it's cold in Chicago. Is it cold enough to shrink that piece? <laughs> so my question is, where is Jameis going? I'm gonna avoid that topic. Jameis is uh, is on the merry-go-round right now. He's on the he's in the game of musical chairs, but and he. <laughs> He throws for a million yards and he throws TDs and he just got LASIK. I'm telling you, I would love to see him in Vegas. Yeah. Love to see Jameis Winston in Vegas with John Gruden is must-see TV. You want to sell tickets at the new stadium? Jameis Winston would be an Al Davis guy. Al Davis would salivate. Al Davis is about to pop up out of his grave and go right to Vegas and make sure that they signed Jameis Winston. Honestly, reuniting him and Mariota, same draft class, see what happens. I mean, I think of Mariota as more of a backup option, you know, backup plus money. Agreed. I think if you're the Raiders, though, the smart play, if it's not Jameis, it's to draft somebody. You already know that you don't like Derek Carr. 
move him. Um, and then, and then you know, with Indy out of the quarterback sweepstakes, although they picked behind uh, the Raiders, you know, there's four quarterbacks in the first round. I could see Herbert being another like Oakland type guy, a, a Gruden type guy. If you believe Herbert or Love is going to fall, then you've got a capable backup to start the season out to groom a player for half a year or whatever it takes. And the window is just open for your team. You're acquiring a lot of young talent. I think Mayock does a great job there. And just like that, we've done NFL talk. Yeah, we've done it. Uh, let's get Joe Buck on the line. Okay. Okay, welcoming to the pod. This is a great guest. I just pulled this guest. Frankly, I pulled this guest out of my ass about noon today. And here we are uh, talking to, to our good so friend Joe, Joe Buck. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just a, it's just a really it's the most graphic introduction I've ever uh, I've ever had. You've been on part of my take, yeah. Yeah, I have, but uh, neither one of those two guys actually said that I I came out of their ass. Uh, so uh, here we are. Well, you're very literal, uh, and you remember making, of course, that we all spent a little bit of time after um, after Super Bowl. What Super Bowl? It was the uh, Patriots Falcons Super Bowl, twenty eight to three at yeah. the uh, at the hotel bar. Yeah, that was a good night. It was a good night for all. We had just finished. Uh, the first overtime Super Bowl telecast, and uh, you had a ring, and yeah. your dad was uh, was happy, and and you were happier. It was a, it was a nice night. And Joe and I got to speak about uh, my illustrious spotting career, yeah. as you're well aware of, Chris yeah. and uh, <laughs> Stern, and a, a few uh, as many topics as you can fit in about 90 seconds. Joe and I covered. You got them all in. It was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, it was like speed dating. Yep. Joe, right. how, Joe, how important is a spotter in the booth? Got to be really important, huh? You know, yeah, they are. I, I would say that in in uh, order of importance, at least with the people that stand around me in a broadcast booth, and I, I don't think people really understand how many people it takes to kind of present that whole broadcast. But obviously, Troy is number one. But number two, to me, is my stat guy. And I look to him for everything. So I have a stat guy, Ed Spita, who's from Philly, uh, diehard Eagles fan. Uh, we have to put up with him every weekend, and uh, he's become <laughs> one of my best friends. Uh, on a grease board, he will say, you know, something as simple as a punt that a guy hits at the 48-yard line gets caught at the 23 and the guy returns it, you know, whatever it is, 18 yards, I'll, I'll get on the grease board, you know, the length of the punt on top, a line, the length of the return on the bottom, and I go to him for everything. And, and he's also a guy that, uh, that I think thinks analytically and, and kind of anecdotally for me. It's not just raw numbers. Uh, there, there's sometimes it's timeouts in the conversation, you know, how a, how a team may use them. Um, and even some history, yeah, that, different notes of, of trends that, that, that guys have, uh, that guys have had coming into the game and how they've either, you know, furthered it or, you know, some big run for some player, or some team ended that day. Yeah, it's one thing to have the stats is another to put them in context. Uh, I got our, you know, who I work with some is our boy Berger, um, shout out to Mike Berger, uh, from the Fox yeah, Empire. Well, those guys are invaluable and they, they're able the the fun the fun thing is and, and it's fun and and difficult I think is is to be right in the middle of it that that's the fun of it for me but I, but when I'm home and I'm watching a game on TV sometimes I I see a lot more than I do when I'm actually in the booth or I'm thinking along different lines and I can kind of 
you can ca- you can catch your breath and be removed from having to come up with the exact words in the moment, and you can kind of assess the situation better. And that's what those people do in the booth. So you asked me about the spotter. A great spotter is golden, and, and a spotter is somebody who points to on a board who made the catch, who made the tackle, uh, or whatever just happened down on the field. A bad spotter can crush you because eventually it's coming out of your mouth, and if they're giving you bad info and a replay shows that it was not Chris Long who got the sack, it was somebody else, uh, then you're the one that looks like the moron because you said it. So you have to really have somebody there that you trust. And, and that's, uh, you know, we found, I think the best booth along those lines that there is in the NFL. I can't imagine a booth having better info people in it than what we have. Well, you got to ride the wave of glory with the spotter, and then you've got to ride the wave of despair when you're fed the incorrect name. Make, have you ever fed anybody anything incorrect? My first year was 2008. We had a pick six against us, university of Richmond. Mm. They had not good either, by the way. I was there. And I don't think they had shoulder or sleeve numbers. So I was trying to find the guys back. And I think I uh, located a 15 when there was a 16. And oh boy. the last 12 years or so without a, without a mistake. I'm the stack guy, too. Yeah, dual threat, by on, the way, on Joe. On my plate. I, my wow. question for, yeah, my question for Joe, how many voices potentially have access to your earpiece at a given time? when you are broadcasting? I mean, total, I I would say, you know, we've got, now we've got two producers. Um, We've got a director, so that's three. We've got uh, Steve Horn, who Chris knows really well. Yeah, shout out to Steve. An editorial guy that that is also an anecdotal thinker and somebody that puts different uh, situations into context for me. He can get into my headset. Also, Um, Joe, I hate to to interrupt, but I got to do it. Uh, Joe... Uh, Steve, myself, that was among the group of people at our first dinner in St. Louis in 2008 when you guys took me to dinner, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, God, that's a long time ago. Yeah, dude, uh, yeah, and, exactly. and thank God you passed through here because I will tell you that uh, Chris's mark on St. Louis remains to this day. And, you know, we haven't had a lot of athletes that have come through this town, baseball, football, hockey, whatever, that uh, – at least with the big three sports that we have or have had, obviously the NBA way back when and ABA that have made that kind of impact that Chris has. He's just a big hearted guy that, um, that I I think ultimately, Chris, I know you well enough to know that you just want to help the world and help people around you. And, and it's easy to see you're easy to rally around. And it's somebody that, that started to climb Kilimanjaro about seven years ago, the day that you got down from Kilimanjaro and ran into you in the hotel bar, and you told me and my daughter it was the hardest <laughs> physical thing you had ever done in your life. And my daughter, who was 16 at the time, and I was whatever it was, 43. Who's now an actress, Natty. Uh, Shout out to Natty. She's now an actress. an actress. Yeah, Natty Buck. Uh, we looked at each other like if Chris Long, who's got muscles in his earlobes, had a tough time getting up this thing. We have no chance, but uh, you killed it, though. You killed it. And by the way, I, I, I do. There. Since you just, you just, uh, you just gave me the, the the treatment on the St. Louis thing. I want to, I, I want to indirectly credit you with delivering clean water to over three hundred thousand people. Because had I not run into you and uh, Doug Pitt and John Bongiorno in that bar in Tanzania, I always tell this story. When I heard somebody say my name in a bar in East Africa. 
I thought I was fucking hallucinating. And it was you. It, it and was, I should have known it your was voice. Amazing. I mean, that was definitely, a, a, you know, like a twist of fate or a, some sort of divine intervention that came down because what's come out of that? I mean, that's why we were there. Uh, and Doug had done it multiple times and John Bongiorno had done it multiple times. And now they have since with you and the awareness that you've brought uh, through Waterboys and everything else. I, I, there, there was some other force at work there that uh, that made sure we walked into that bar uh, at that time because you were coming and going. We had just gotten there and, and only it was weird. We were starving. Did we go down there? And I run into somebody that I know well in Tanzania in a hotel bar. Uh, that's just, I think that just means we're alcoholics. Well, I, I am. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to make light of that, but I, I think I am kind of functioning. Uh, I'm definitely on. So, on how, so how many, how many people in, uh, in your ear? That's what making before I took us down this side street here. Uh, my apologies. I, I would say like, I would say who can talk to me probably four, but who do talk to me, I, I you know, they're, Steve Horn picks his spots. Uh, our producer picks his spots. I think most people think that somebody's just feeding you information. There's not time for that. There's not time for something to happen on the field and then somebody to think of something and then feed it to the guy doing the broadcast. I mean, we're kind of on our own. They can help. They'll tell you where we're going, like with a graphic coming up, or the producer will tell me how many more seconds we have at the end of a segment before we go to a commercial break where he's counting me backward while I'm talking and I have to be finished with my thought before he hits one or zero. But for the most part, we're on our own. And, and I, I, I don't know that people get all that, but uh, I've had, I've had musical uh, hall of famers in the booth. I've had actors uh, in the booth. I've had uh, medical professionals that have put the headset on. And listen to all that traffic going in and out of my head. And just at the end of the game, like, how in the hell do you keep your train of thought? And I guess it's just because I've done it so long that it's it feels normal to me. Do you have a fear? Do you have, like, a one fear? Like Because me, my fear is always, and Macon know this, knows this, I struggle with people's names. Like, basic pronunciation of basic two-syllable names. We're not talking about Al-Faraq Aminu of the NBA. We're talking about, like, Johnson and Johnston, uh, I'm going to struggle with stuff like that. Do you have one fear that you're like, that gives you pause before you speak in the booth? Um, yeah, I mean, is it one fear? No. Is it, is it just fear of the mistake? I think that's kind of what social media has brought into my world oh, and yeah. our world. Um, I, I think it's, it's made everybody a lot less authentic, a lot less willing to take a risk, a lot less willing to show their real personality instead of, you know, what's going on now, which, and I'm, I'm a victim of it and I'm guilty of it myself, just kind of staying in the middle lane because you know, once you step out of that middle lane, you're going to get slammed on social media, no matter what you do, good or bad, funny or dumb, whatever it might be. I think it's, I look back at old tapes of mine or DVDs. I just saw somebody sent me a clip of a game we did. I don't even know what year it was, maybe 2000, 2001, somewhere in there where we went back throughout the history of television and baseball and went decade by decade and kind of added to the presentation of the broadcast and how developments, technological developments made the broadcast look better over time. 
you went from like a 50s broadcast to a 60s broadcast to a 70s broadcast, graphics and everything else. It was a great idea. And I did a, a live commercial where I'm actually wiping shaving cream on my face in the booth uh, because they used to do the commercials live in game, you know, just do them right there. Like Barbasol and I, and right I wonder, there. No, that's what it was. And it was the guy, you know, drinking a beer. It was the guy putting, you know, maybe even lighting up a cigarette. Or the guy putting <laughs> that was it. They were doing it on the field, too. They were doing it in the locker room, yeah. too. No, I know. And and so now I, I watch that and I go, man, have, have, would I do that now? Would we even try that in 2020? I don't know. I feel like it's kind of taken a little bit of the creativity. Everybody's scared to kind of step off into the deep end. And, and that's, that's a real shame. And I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about just anybody. You know, yeah, I, I mean, I we yeah, all, we all, we all read the room. Like I read the, like, listen, now being a part of the media, if you tweet in general, you, everybody, there's very few people that when a topic comes up, you don't at least look at what people are saying. That might not alter, you know, the way you break it down on your timeline. Uh, but everybody reads the room and now with takes and being in the media, like I'm not not just gonna let a take fly unless I'm really passionate about it. I'm gonna educate myself, and some of that that gets through your filtering system is other people's opinions, and it's impossible not to reconcile with that. According to social media, here's an important detail about you that I learned: you hate the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, I know, and and uh, the Phillies and the Giants and the Mets and the Yankees. Yeah, which team Sox do you hate the most? Which which team does, does the world say you hate the most? By the way. Uh, well, it just depends on who's on that night. I mean, it depends on who I'm doing. Um, I, you know, I, I, I reconcile it this way. There are a lot of baseball fans that cross over to football fans. There are a, a billion Eagle fans that are also Philly fans. And in baseball, it's different than any other sport. Baseball, you're listening to your hometown guys who have the same rooting interest as you, even the hometown directors and the, the shots that they show. Mm-hmm. You don't really care. If I'm in St. Louis watching the Cardinals, I don't really care what's going on with the Mets and their bullpen. And, and God forbid, if a Mets guy hits a home run, as the Cardinal announcer, I, I just act like my dog got shot. Yeah. Well, when I, when I show up in the postseason and, and I have to get excited for both sides, you know, countless times, uh, thousands of times throughout seven games, hometown fans are watching that going, why in the hell is this guy screaming and yelling when this team just hit a home run against my team? Right. Why, what, what's, what's going on? And I think it just hits people's ear a weird way because they're just not used to it. So because I've done it, I've done the last, 20 World Series, 22 total. I'm the only guy that's ever done a World Series on national TV in the social media era. Well, I will and, say, and yeah. I think, sorry, go I, ahead. I just think that that's built its own. You know, it's it's just kind of it, it's going to come with the territory, no matter if it's me or if it's John Smith doing it. The 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 fan that just lost is going to hate the guy on national TV that just screamed and yelled for the other team. Well, I will say this. If it makes you feel any better, we're about to rank our uh, – and you are a decorated cat here, okay? Like, I've known you forever as my friend, okay, because you work with my pops. known you for years now. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've realized, hey, my buddy Joe has been doing a lot of big games for a long time. Also, in my opinion, and in most people's opinions, very good at it. And I love that you let things breathe. I like your style. When I put up 
the uh, Patrick Robinson's pick six that I deflected Case Keenum's arm in the, in the NFC Championship. You know, that was one of the one of my favorite calls. Uh, spoiler alert, when we get out of this thing and we rank the calls, that's personal to me, okay? I'm a part of it. But I thought you did a magnificent job. Robinson needs a block, gets it. You know, like the pauses are perfect. But then you get people in the comments like, yeah, he hates Philly. You can just hear it. <laughs> now, now, Joe, if I'm being honest and I go back and I look at the Mitchell call from like 1994 or whatever the fuck, when was the Mitchell call? Mitchell. The Mi- what's the Mitchell call? Brian Mitchell, I think it was, on the on the kickoff return. Mitchell. 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 You don't have these catalogs when in was your head, it? Joe? I don't know no, what it was. I have, God, I have absolutely no idea. You See, know, you and, don't, and I, to I don't, these Philly people, or, or fill in the blank, any of these fans, it's he hates my team. No, he's just letting it breathe. Watch the Minnesota Miracle. That's one of my favorite calls, okay? It's just, it's word... Word, word, in for a touchdown, whatever it is. And sometimes the crowd noise is enough. That's how I feel when I'm watching a game where there's a lot of atmosphere and, and there's a lot of noise. Do you think, do you, do you taper or alter the way that you call a play, depending on if it's at home or away? Because I looked at that play and yeah. it makes me think about that's the loudest I've ever heard that stadium. A lot of people say that, and I'm saying that very proudly. The Minnesota Miracle, same thing. Um, you know, very yeah. loud. Uh, or do you alter the way you call those plays? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I, there is nothing that I can say that is going to be as exciting as watching the action and listening to the crowd go crazy. I mean, that's if I'm doing that and I'm going to trample all over that. I mean, I, that's kind of a shame on me. I'm taking that over for myself. That's just not the way I want to listen to it. If I'm at home. Uh, it's why it's when it, when a World Series ends and the visiting team wins it, it, it you got to really kind of go overboard because there's no noise in the stadium, mm. as opposed to when when a team wins it, the whole thing and and they're at home and the crowd's going crazy. There's just not much to say. It's TV. If I'm doing radio, different deal. But it's television, and you have to assume that people in those moments are actually watching and they don't need you to tell them more than just the bare bones and then just let them enjoy it. I, I don't like hijacking those moments. So that digs moment, a walk-off touchdown in a playoff game, that that's about as good as it gets in a home stadium. Now pick it Now it was against new Orleans. So everybody in new Orleans going, Oh my God, he's losing his mind. He's so excited. He hates the saints. It's but the those most are the exciting play I've moments. ever seen. Yeah, and, and it was so out of nowhere because you expected Diggs to just catch and hop out of bounds, and he caught it, stayed up, turned around, and nobody was there, and he just went in and they win the game. You're, you're preparing yourself for a game-winning field goal try, and in an instant you get a walk-off touchdown run after a catch, and it's just, like, breathtaking. And there's, not, there's nothing more that I can say that's going to add to that except – you know, unbelievable, whatever I said, Vikings win it and, and just shut up and let the director show you these <laughs> yeah. great pictures and let the crowd go crazy. That, that is that those are the moments that you live for on TV, not because I want to hear myself scream. It's because I love what I do. And, and I, I love those big moments. The Tony Romo thing reminds me of that something like it's great, and I really like Tony Romo. I know he's he's in another network, but I think he's great. It's it's different, you know. He he's color, so he's kind of painting a picture, and he's uh, 
He's kind of, um, you know, an auxiliary voice in, in the booth. Um, so it's different, but I will say that some people have noted since he got paid, they're like, well, I don't turn on the game to listen to the announcer primarily, whether it's the play-by-play or the color. And that makes sense to me, but I do think that you can add value. And sometimes I think in a situation like that, your best value is to let the, let the thing breathe. Absolutely. And you're right about Tony. I think the best thing that Tony did when he got in, you know, uh, and came off the field and went right into the booth, um, is he didn't get into the business trying to sound like anybody who had done it before. And, and for me, there was a long line of guys that all tried to sound like John Madden for, for better or worse. Mm -hmm. And, and Tony Romo came along and it's almost like he had never really seen a game on TV, which I know he had, but he, he did his own timing. He did his own excitement. He did his own voice inflection. He did his own predicting of plays, whatever. And so good for him. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I think those moments need to stand on their own, and those are the moments for the sport and for those teams and for you know that moment in a playoff game or Super Bowl or World Series. Those aren't the moments for the announcers, and and I I think that's the best thing about growing up being my dad's son. You know, he's like, hey, you just realize if you get hit by a bus going into the stadium tonight, and and you're you know planted against the a brick wall and dead. They're still gonna. They're still gonna play the game. They may or may not have a moment of silence, depending on where the game's being played. But nobody is tuning into the game, saying what game is Joe Buck doing. They're tuning into the game because they want to watch their team. And and you have to do the game. At least I do. That's what I think of every time. Uh, that that's that's my mentality about. No, what they'd, my be job whip, they'd be whipping about. up the microphone patches for you ASAP. Do you think? Yeah, well, think just so. for marketing and yeah. like, yeah, like a little giveaway. They give them away in Philadelphia. People can burn them. Whatever <laughs> they they would do. burn them. You can't predict the digs play. If you're going into a Super Bowl or a decisive World Series game, how much are you thinking about a potential final call or how much are you trying to get yourself to not think about a potential final call? Yeah, that's it's a great question, and it's something that I wrestle with all the time because you, your ego goes, man, let's make this just airtight and perfect. And that's not how you call any other moment of any other game. And when you wake up and you write down some line, it, it, by the time the moment comes, that line most of the time, maybe all the time, it turns out to be just corny. Mm. Um, and I, and I, I feel like I learned that lesson in, uh, 98 in the Mark McGuire home run chase. You know, I, everybody kept asking me, well, if he breaks Roger Maris's record, what are you going to say? I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to say at any time. You know, the inning starts and you just start talking. I don't know what's going to come out. And, uh, so he, I, everybody asked me, asked me, asked me, asked me. Eventually I, I took the bait. And I went to bed thinking about what I was going to say, and I woke up thinking about what I was going to say, and I wrote it down in my scorebook, this, this, what I thought was going to be this great, majestical call. And the ball that he hit for the winning or the, the record-breaking home run so fast. was barely fair and barely over the wall. And because I, I couldn't take my eyes off the ball and go down to my stupid script that I had written that morning, <laughs> I had to keep my head up and my eyes up, and I noticed him. He was so excited that he jumped over first base because he was watching it too. Mm -hmm. And 
that became part of the call. Touch first, Mark, you're the new single season home run king. And then I didn't say one other thing, and I had not planned that at all. And, and that let me know that in that big moment, um, I, I would come up with the right words if I just trusted myself, as opposed to, you know, let's, let's plan what we're going to say and force the ending to fit my script. I, I think you have to just make sure your words fit what's happening in front of your face. Did, did you have to, when you got in this thing way back, I mean, you got in this in the early 90s, right? You were one of the youngest dudes to yeah. do it. Um, have you had to evolve your style? Do people, do you wake up? Do you, First off, I mean, it's got to be hard because I hate my voice. Somebody with a voice like yours, I wonder, do you hate your voice, Joe? Because if you hate your voice, there's no hope for any of us. Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't like listening. I don't like listening to myself. And and that's the hardest thing, because if you're going to get good at this, you have to listen to your stuff. Now, I I think you have to have a lot. I think you have to have some lag time. If if I do a Super Bowl and I the next day I, I go racing home and I just sit down and watch it, it's an unfair watch because I know what I said. I I remember what I said. And I also remember what I wanted to say but didn't, right. the choices I made, whatever it might be. If I go back, and I go back, you know, like you said, w- what year was the Mitchell call? I have no idea. Yeah. If I go Mitchell. back, and I get it. You got to go back <laughs> and here. I go back. <laughs> it's awesome. No, I know. But if I go back, and I, and I watch, and I, and I don't remember all the specifics, then it's a fair listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, there are times when, when – you know, my voice drives me crazy. Well, but, I mean, that, that makes us that, feel better because we can't listen to this fucking podcast, I'll tell you. And <laughs> nope. not that this podcast is as successful as a broadcast of uh, an NFL playoff game, but I know that, like, I know the feeling of when if you watch it too soon and it's too fresh, your brain is still processing all the information yeah. that you prep so hard on. So sometimes, like, if you make a point, you're like, that's not even a good point. But everybody else thinks it's a good point, but you've been studying it for a week. So you're over it probably. And then like, as you're watching, have you had to steer your voice or your inflection or your style a certain way? Do guys, how do guys work it? Do they get coached into having a style or do you show up and have a style and go with it? Like you wouldn't want to do Gus Johnson. Gus Johnson wouldn't want to do Joe Buck. Could either of you do each, what each other does? I'm assuming no. I mean, like you have different styles. Absolutely. And that's why I tell, you know, young people that want to get into this business when you're working in a smaller market or hell, if you're doing it into a tape recorder, which is what I was doing when I was 13, 14, 15 in the booth next to my dad's booth, that's the time to work on that stuff. That's the time to see what your style may be. But if you get into it and if I got into this going, I want to be my dad or I'm going to be Vin Scully or I'm going to be Marv Albert or I'm going to be 
you know, whoever, Bell Allen. These are names you probably don't even know, but I, but I'm going to be Harry Carey, whatever it might be. Wait, you don't have to be Jack Bell. I don't have to be Howie Long. Yeah, no, you don't have to be Howie Long. I hate to be the one to break it to you. Uh, so I, yeah, I just, I, I think you have to just find whatever it is that makes you you, and that comes from being prepared, and it comes from being relaxed. And when you are at your most relaxed, your style will come out. Your your, you have your own style, um, and 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 I know what your style is, and and I like that. I I think you are, you know, you're not your dad. You're no. you're you're a completely different person. And, and that's how I got into this. Now I, I also worked with my dad. I was my dad's broadcast partner for, you know, whatever it was 10 years or 12 years. And, and I was seated right next to him and all that stuff just kind of seeps in, but I never overtly thought, well, what would my dad say here? Cause that's what I want to say. I, I just, I, you have to turn that off and just find out who you are on the air and then, be confident in that and and hopefully that's good enough yeah, if it isn't it's true then it, the business will tell you and you won't have a job and if it is then then go with it and and further refine it well there's there's it's a twofold question for you and i i mean not that we have the same plight but you know i i would i would argue that part of the people that i think if i'm disliked by somebody okay lately it's my politics okay not to get political here but they also might not like the fact they perceive nepotism. Uh, you know, if you are somebody's son, you're always going to be viewed as somebody's son. And I do think that there's some people that probably shortchange you because of that or have had it in their head forever and they can't fucking get over it. Even though to me, I think that you, you're you just as good or maybe better, but I'm a contemporary, okay? So like, um, and that's no offense to your dad who's a legend, uh, but for me, it's just, yeah. you know, and, and, and on top- I have a totally different career than my dad. My dad- was a radio guy that got a chance at the end of his career because Brent Musburger got fired by CBS to do two years of national baseball in kind of the current type marketplace and do it with Tim McCarver. And it didn't really go that well. You know, he had a two year deal with a two year option and they got rid of him and they ended up hiring Sean McDonough. He, he came from a different era, but the whole notion that basically 30 years later, Somebody's still doing my dad a favor who never worked in Fox and the guy that hired me. It doesn't even make sense. So I think I, those are know, the same yeah. people not staying inside right now during uh, the pandemic. I yeah, think that's the, exactly. uh, the analysis they're capability. Down, they're of the, spring so. breaking. Yeah. Or it's, the parents, it's the parents of the kids that are spring breaking. Exactly, and they should right be now. ashamed. I, I have just as much contempt for the parents of those kids as I do those kids. Absolutely. But, but we can leave that for Absolutely, another day. Absolutely, for another day. Um, with your dad, okay, so like if I go back and listen to people from his era, it's almost like, I, is it the audio of their voices that sound different? Or did people's voices just sound really fucking different, you know, in, in the middle of the last century? You know, like, I, did well, the style my, I evolve? Mean, I, I mean, the whole style evolved, like as, as years went? Well, my and, dad talked like this. My dad smoked from the time he was 16 years old until the time he died. <laughs> uh, and so he, you know, his his joke and... It's his joke, so don't uh, don't tweet at me. But somebody, some kid, would ask him, you know, well, how do you get into this business, and what what would be your advice to a kid starting this business? And the first thing out of his mouth was always, "Start smoking." <laughs> so that's not exactly Does the kind vaping of count. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, sure. We, that's that's how he would have evolved to they start vaping, kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
So, yeah, I don't know. But back then, I think when you listen to playback, for whatever reason, now on, on the audio equipment we have, or it was recorded at a higher speed, like I listen to Stern all the time. And if you go back in time on Howard Stern, he's, he's talking up here, and he's, he's really fast, and he sounds like a different person. And now it's a lot more resonant. And yeah. it's, it's, I think his voice is way better now, but I don't know that it's any different. I think it just was recorded on different type equipment and, and lesser quality equipment than what it's played back on now. Yeah, you can um, almost smell people's breaths now. Like I can hear yeah, spit you know, hitting. The, you know, it's the microphones it, are so powerful. Do you have a do you have a favorite from this era or eras past like the peers that you look at and you're like I wish I could do what that guy does like you know players there's players that I wish I could be but they're just different. Well yeah I mean I th- I think I take I take a little bit I would take a little bit from everybody. I I would like to take my dad's carefree style. I would like to take the way he lived his life and didn't really worry. Um you know when I used to when I used to get worried about something with my kids when I was a young dad, uh, you know, he'd say, you don't, don't holler till you're hurt. I'll, I'll tell you when to worry kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And a guy who was shot in world war two and had been through, I would, I would love to take his, don't worry about it. And just, especially in these times, I mean, do what you're supposed to do, but the roof isn't falling in and, and we'll get through this mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Uh, I, I would take, uh, Al Michaels precision, even at this age, uh, and, and his ability to do what he does, he's still very precise and, and maybe even more so than I am, uh, as, as a guy who's 25 plus years younger than he is, uh, Costas's recall Tarico's ability to do everything, uh, well, and, and he's got a brilliant math mind, Nance, the way he calls golf. I mean, the list goes on and on. I, I don't want to be anybody else, but I see attributes and characteristics of other guys uh, and what they do on the air as play-by-play callers that I go, God, you know, I when when a punt happens and Tarico spits out 46-yard punt right away, I, I've texted him during a game. I'm like, you do that in your head, don't you, when that's going on? He's like, yeah, I just have the ability to do that. And I said, I'm so jealous of that. This is while he's calling a game. And he said, well, I'll trade you my math abilities for your voice. And so we all, <laughs> I think we all, we all look at other facets of what everybody else does and, uh, and you admire it. And, and I admire these guys that have done it for as long as they have or do it as well as they do. And, and I'm just trying to do my part at my network to the best of my ability. And when, when they find, uh, you know, the next great guy i'll i'll be you know out on the street and yeah, happy well, I, for what i, I got, got a guest house you, you you're making it sound like you're going to be homeless uh i know uh... i but but that's the thing if my career ended today yeah my career yeah. ended 10 years ago i've done 50 times more than i ever thought i would do so i people go well, what else would you want to do i'm like well, what kind of an asshole would i be if i said well, you know, I want to do the NBA. I think I'd like to call the Kentucky Derby, and I'd love to do the Masters, and I'd like to do curling. Well, you didn't say I, okay. Is, you didn't say hockey there, and I was going to ask how hard hockey appears to be from a play-by-play. It's play very standpoint. hard, but 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 the, the TV guys are so good at it. They're basically doing radio on TV. It's like amazing. everybody that touches everybody that touches the puck, and and that's not the way I. I would do any of it, and and yet I sit. It's my favorite sport to watch. Oh. It's my only sport that I really root for because I'm a Blues How about them Blues, guy. baby? It was unbelievable, and the the best fan experience I've ever had. 
And, and to, to watch that, I get it. I mean, and I got, I, I was educated with a lot of the stuff I deal with mainly in October when, you know, Doc Emmerich is great and Kenny Albert is great and mm-hmm. a great friend of mine and somebody I've been colleagues with since 1994. And I think the world of the guy, but when the games mattered the most, I wanted the blues announcers to call the games on my TV. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how I listened to them all year, every year. And now you're listening to somebody who, who is truly unbiased and doesn't care who wins. Just like when I'm doing a World Series or a Super Bowl or a champ game or whatever it might be, I don't care who wins. It doesn't affect my life. But when I'm a fan, man, I want, I want the person telling me on TV what's going on to feel the same way I feel. And, and so it, it's, it was really helpful, and yeah. I get it. And I, I got it more then than I ever did. I always thought I got it until I watched really great broadcasters do their thing, and, and I was just yearning for, for my guys to do well, it. It's, it's the same phenomenon with the, you know, shout-out to Steve Savard or, like, guys in St. Louis, like people that would watch a game. You know, you get used to one thing, and then it's the big stage, and it's another, and they want the personalization. They want the familiarity. They yeah. want the references from the regular season, the behind-the-scenes stuff, and you just can't get that as much from the national guys because they, they have 32 teams to worry about. Uh, you, you mentioned being a fan. Has there been a game that you called that you said, I wish I was not in this booth? Meaning it was so bad? No, it was so good. Like you, you This was a game that you had waited for. The atmosphere was crazy. Oh. You wished you were tailgating. Well, you wished you were – and excluding St. Louis sports maybe. But you can give me a St. Louis Yeah, one. no. No, it's not I, – I, honest to God, I, I, I would tell you if I did, I, I don't – I think I lost that as a kid because I, I would go on these road trips with my dad with the Cardinals and I was in every National League city by the time I was 12 and I was bat boying and I was shagging fly balls before the game and I was around players and I was on the charter and I was on, you know, I was picked on by players and I was in the broadcast booth and I saw all that and I was living and dying with the Cardinals. If they won, I was happy. If they lost, I was pissed and dejected. And then I would get on the charter and the guy, that the closer that just gave up the game-winning home run it has got the middle seat popped down. They're playing cards. They don't have a care in the world. And I thought, why am I going to bed mad when the guy that just gave it up is, is having the time of his life? And I think I lost some of that fandom in baseball. I, I never, I mean, I, I went to the Rams Super Bowl win in Atlanta uh, in the 2000 season. Uh, was it, yeah, 2000, 99, whatever season that was. Yeah. 2000, uh, January or February, 2000 in Atlanta. And, and I, I loved every minute of being there as a fan, but for the most part, the only fan experience I have where I'm like, Oh my God, I wish I was out, you know, drinking beer and, and hanging with my family or my friends is in hockey. I I just don't have that for the sports I call. I would rather be in the booth. I'd rather game seven of the 2016 world series, the Cubs and the, and the Indians, where the Cubs haven't won in 108 years, I would rather call it than be out in the seats, you know, drinking beer, watching it. It's just more fun for me. That, that to me, is fun instead of just, you know, parking and general parking and, and going in and, and buying oh, it. it fucking sucks. I had that beer. whole realization when I went to Kyle's first game uh, or Kyle's first game this past year. My first game as a retired player, I was like, I don't get this. I don't get football yeah. anymore. I don't get being a football fan. I was in a suite. I didn't get it. Like, I didn't get it. And, yeah, it's the same kind of thing. Well, that's why I think, you know, whether it's if it's Philly fans 
giant football fans, whatever it might be, that that they're going there and they're they're trudging to their stadium and the weather's terrible and it's raining or it's snowing or it's whatever, and they could just as easily be at home watching the thing on a flat screen TV. I'm like, good on you. That's I'm their so thing. Yeah, it's their thing. People, I can't get in there. I'm it's, so it's glad they want to do it. Thank God that people want to do that. Yeah. And it's for yeah. me, I'd rather call it. So I, otherwise, I, I'd be at home or in the arena if it's a hockey game, and that's about it. We've been to a booth at Duke that doubled as a dentist office before a recent renovation. At Hard Rock <laughs> Stadium, they put us, the college broadcast, in the corner of the end zone. I'm wondering, on the flip side, what currently is the best, let's say, NFL booth physically, size, sight line, et cetera? Chicago, believe it or not. Um, it's a weird, yeah, it's a weird because, stadium. So, yeah, yeah. You would think that it's really low, and, and typically low. that knocks out some of your uh, perception of like the far sideline. New England's tough, like on the far sideline, to see that over there, and it feels dark in there at night. Um, but Chicago, for some reason. Like I can see guys' expressions on their faces when they're when they're running with a, in the right direction. So it's it's so good. Um, Miami was great. You know, I, you just mentioned Hard Rock, but when they went through the renovation and where we get to sit for the network booth, I was like, thank God we're calling a Super Bowl in a stadium like this where you can see. Our first Super Bowl was in Jacksonville, where you're hanging off the clouds, and it's like, oh my God, I can't see from up here. It's like the top of tops of helmets running around down there. They've made it better since then, but uh, that that is harrowing. You asked me earlier, what's my biggest fear? My biggest fear is not being able to see right mm. uh, from from the booth because of where it's stationed. For the most part, we have a, the best seat in the house, but every once in a while, uh, you know, it it doesn't really work out that way. And, and Jacksonville doing a Super Bowl there back in whatever year that was, 2004. was Really uh, ugly that logo was on that, that Super Bowl. That was one of the most hideous. We ranked Super Bowl logos. That was bad. Um, really? Yeah, right, it's though. forgettable too, Joe. Yeah, back when they were doing them right, now it's been corporatized and, and every logo looks the same. It's all silvery and you've got to put the, the Lombardi trophy in there. Before we let you go, Joe, um, you know we're going to talk about our favorite calls. Do you have favorite calls from anybody else? Favorite calls that you did? Uh, is there one you look back on and you hate besides the Maguire? He got Maguire no, he right. he got the Maguire right, but the yeah. build-up to it was I fucked up the process. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like the process on that. The call I, I liked, um, there aren't many that I go back, and because it's not fair. It's not fair to, to go back and go, God, I wish I had done that, or I, I wish I had said this. I just don't live like that. I, I think the ones that stand out to me are, you know, the Yankees winning in 96 because it was the first time I was doing a real national broadcast and I was 27 and started that World Series scared out of my mind. Or not scared, but just, just timid and wondering how it would all go. And it was and it, it, it worked and, and I felt comfortable. Uh, so that's the one. It's like that, that's, you don't, you'd never forget your first. And I think 96 World Series, uh, that was Jeter's rookie year and the whole Yankees return to greatness, I think is one that, that stands out to me. The Plaxico Burris touchdown for Eli Manning is one. David Freeze mm. hitting the, the game-winning home run in the 11th inning of, of game six in 2011. And then the Diggs call. I mean, I, I think the Diggs one that 
The Stefan Diggs walk-off touchdown is is one that, at least as far as football is concerned, is one that I walked out of there going, "Good God, that was that was literally breathtaking," and I'm glad I didn't screw it up. And uh, yeah, that that's one that I would put on my just because of of what it meant. Um, that would be on my lifetime highlight reel. I think you can only mention one. What's your favorite Jack Buck call? It wouldn't be the typical ones. I mean, I. I know we're wrapping up, but the, the yeah. Kirk Gibson. Well, we don't have to. We say. love you. It's just we just know other people have shit to do during the pandemic. No, yeah, right. The uh, the Kirk Gibson home run. They I don't uh, I don't believe what I just saw. People would say or Ozzie Smith go crazy, folks. That was the he one. I, yeah, one was, yeah. The, the he did one of Bob Gibson throwing a no hitter, uh, where his voice cracks at the end of it, and to me because. You know, he was my hero, my best friend, my my idol, my everything. I I just know how much he loved Bob, first of all, and I know how much he loved the beauty of sports, and I think in particular the beauty of a no hitter. And you know, when he when he says it, he says it's a strike call, and his voice cracks, <laughs> and I, I I can just I can hear him and see him choking up. Um, that's the one that stands out to me because it just encompasses who he was and, and why he was so great at what he did. Well, Joe, uh, we certainly enjoyed this, buddy, and uh, we hope you come back soon. We hope to hear you talking sports soon. Any idea yeah. on the MLB stuff? No. I mean, I, I everybody's – at this point, I think everybody's just speculating and, and nobody has any idea. And and even with the NFL offseason um, – where that's headed. Shit, the NFL season. Yeah, yeah, the NFL season. So, you know, maybe I've heard some in the game say get back at it in June and then kind of have the All-Star game the second week of July kind of be the big piece at the early part of the season to really jumpstart the second half of the year, which wouldn't be a half. It would be the majority of the year, but – I, I don't know. I mean, you're talking about at best, I think, in an 80 game season somewhere in there. Maybe, maybe a few more. But man, I, I'm at this point. I'm sitting here hoping that they play at all because then that means that some things are restored yeah. to normal. It's not because I care about my job or baseball or whatever. I think it it speaks to the bigger picture that we can all kind of resume normal life interaction and life and and that that's what i'm hopeful for so i'm gonna i'm gonna hold out hope for june and uh maybe we'll we'll listen to this in a few years and go god what a moron he was they didn't play that year or hell they were playing in may so i don't know but i'm hoping june well this podcast doesn't have enough viewers that somebody will pick it up and then hold your hold it over your head so uh joe that we were (laughs) we're all too smart to know that's not true uh well (laughs) So, Joe, uh, I, I actually think 80 games might might uh, be appetizing to some fringe baseball fans. But we will see you, hopefully, and hear you in June. I uh, hope you stay safe. And uh, it was great catching up with you, bro. You too, guys. Thanks a lot. Okay, Thanks, talk soon. Joe. All right, so that was, uh, that was our, our good friend Joe Buck. Joe Buck. I love Joe Buck. Yeah. He really has... He's, uh, I don't know if he's aware of his Q score, his Q rating, Yeah, but it's on the come up. Really? Yeah. People are now appreciating Joe Buck. How do I find a Q score? Yeah. That's a great question. And what is the Q score? Like likability? Right. 
Yeah. Well, and I'm making that up. I don't okay. know if there is a database. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like it's gone from, as we discussed, people thinking, oh, Joe Buck hates my team. I don't well, like Joe Buck. To now, hmm, I think the best. I think Joe did a great job of being self-aware and realizing that people never got to see the fun side of him. And Joe Buck is a fun fucking dude. I mean, yep. he's awesome. He's one of the coolest dude my dad, dudes my dad worked with. If I had to pick a person to drink with that my dad worked with, there's a lot of great options there. I mean, uh, Jimmy Johnson, fishing, drinking Heineken's, you know, TB, you know, a uh, nice glass of whiskey, listen to his stories. Um, Joe Buck would maybe be my, you know, although the other guys are the big, you know, football players, the legends, Joe Buck for a night of drinking, uh, I'd put him up there with anybody at Fox. Um, and also, I think that at, at a certain point, he realized that, you know, people maybe had a, a, a bit of the, the baseball bug where they didn't like him because I think it has a lot to do with the Cardinals. The Cardinals are kind of a dislikable team in baseball. I think it's the nepotism, the perceived nepotism thing, which is, I, I know, well and good, people will, will dislike you from the beginning because you know they're always comparing you or they think that you, you've gotten jobs easier than anybody. Okay, Joe Buck's been in the business for a long time. Joe Buck can call the shit out of a game. And you know, as we, we kind of went through and I said, let's rank some stuff. Let's rank our, our favorite play-by-plays. Um, Joe Buck uh, definitely has two calls that I love. Uh, one I mentioned in the interview is near and dear to my heart. Uh, that's the Patrick Robinson pick six. Needs a block, gets one, you know, like that whole thing. And then just letting it breathe and watching everybody mob Patrick Robinson in that corner of the end zone, into the tunnel. People are going crazy. I'm getting chills just thinking, CSC staff, you know, like hyped. It's like just one of the, I'm just getting chills. And Joe let it breathe. People say it's the loudest they heard that stadium. You could hear it on TV. And then Troy, shout out to my boy, running the, the you know the uh, replay back and being like, hey, there was a guy that made that ball a duck. I also love, I also love the uh, the call, the Minnesota miracle. I think, and a lot of this play by play stuff, I think you could sub out a lot of announcers and you'd get a call that you would call iconic. He mentioned the Kirk Gibson call. Everybody likes that call. Uh, well, yeah, or, yeah. He mentioned. Both, did he, did both, Bob both. Gibson, no, yeah. no, and then the, the, dad, the, yeah. the which which he loved. I haven't heard that one. I think about the go crazy folks call uh, with Ozzie Smith, the wizard in St. Louis. But when you talk about the Kirk Gibson call, and I guess that was his dad. It was. I didn't think that call was spectacular. I mean, it was a good call, but I I love it. Normally, you put these on paper, and they look oh that wouldn't sound so good. Yeah, and then you see the moment, and it's just perfect. I think that call is better on paper. I don't believe what I just saw, I think is a tremendous line. Yes, yes. Iconic call. Um, well, it's, it, I think it's iconic because I'm not saying anybody could have called it, but I'm just saying that like, I think Jack has better calls. In my opinion, it's all subjective. And I also don't think he screwed it up. I just didn't think there was anything about it that I'm like, yeah, that, that, that the magnitude of a dude with a bad hamstring and a knee blown up like that coming to the plate and winning a game like that for them. It's like in limping around the bases, like you just, you just, it's hard to screw up. Yeah. We'll see you tomorrow night. So simple. Yep. Forcing a game seven. Yep. 
Jack called that in 91 with Kirby Puckett, and then Joe's done that a couple times since, paying homage to his mm-hmm. father Which with is a cool. couple a we'll cool see you tomorrow nights. And we'll see you later tonight with the, uh, when the Bow Sox went over after midnight on one of those. Um, it, let me give you one, Chris. I'd love it. Bill Raftery, analyst, mm-hmm. so not play-by-play, send it in Jerome. Jerome Lane playing mm-hmm. for the Pitt Panthers. Sean Miller. Sean Miller was a point guard, now the head coach at Arizona. Sweaty man. What year is this? This is like the 90s. Send it in, Jerome. Um, Yeah, 20. This is 25 years before 2013, so do that math. Do that Mike Tirico math there. 88. Yep. Lane's on the other wing. Send it in, Jerome, but that's not in your in your head pictures to begin with. Oh, you know what? The, the YouTube, it began with uh, Jay and Bill and Sean McDonough in a relatively recent time. Actually, here, Jay Billis has hair, hearkening mm-hmm. uh, back to that call. And, okay. you know, the intro of the cathedral at Notre Dame. And uh, Raftery got to run that back with Ty Jerome at Virginia in uh-huh. a couple of big yep. shots. Yep. Send it in, Jerome. Yep. Nice. Jerome. There's, there's a lot of ways you can use Jerome. Yes, indeed. By the way, speaking of Virginia, I know that when I watched some highlight videos of great calls, like Diakite's shot made it, uh, and I forget who did the game. Brian Anderson. Brian Anderson, because you're better with this stuff than I am. Sometimes I listen to the game, I just tune it out, because of what we were talking about. There's certain guys that I feel like are, are pluses for me, but some of them, it's just noise. Um, the only thing he screwed up there was, he was like, for the tie, and then he said, for the tie again, the two pointer, and he's like to send to overtime. Well, he goes, I have it in my head. He goes, Diakite for the win or for the win. Yep, yes, for the win. And then he went to for the for tie. the tie. <laughs> that was it. Diakite squares it at 70. And so, I will tell you that there was some um, mind tricks in that arena, right? Just when you're, you're seeing a team down two attempting a free throw, yep. and then. A lot of things happen quickly, mm-hmm. and a shot goes in, and you just think it's for the win. Mm-hmm. The Virginia broadcast was the same as the TV broadcast, as the same as the Purdue broadcast. It was all for the win. Right. It was a crazy little right. mind. Yeah, it was warp. a mind fuck. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I guess I would put Kevin Harlan's calling the cat this fall yeah. up there. I mean, Kevin Harlan turned a, a streaker in San Francisco in a 21 nothing ball game. Uh, against the Jeff Fisher-led Rams post C-Long, uh, 21-0 in, in the Bay. I mean, he turned the streaker into, you know, something to talk about. I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of announcers, and Harlan can do it all. He can do all the sports. He's, my fa- he's probably my That's favorite. Um, the best voice. I mean, him at the dinner table has just got to be electric. Yeah. Uh, but he can turn anything into something. I guess for me, uh, you probably remember the big poppy homer to tie it against Detroit. Um, that was one that J- I think Joe did a good job with. It's the simplicity. Um, do you believe in miracles? That was one that, that came up time and time again. I don't like it. I, it's, in part. I didn't like the movie. I don't like the call. In part because Al's analyst talks over his call, and I think he rushes it. So it's, do you believe in miracles? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
there there was no breathing room mm-hmm. there and it also sounded like something that like we talked to joe about could have been written beforehand a yeah, little yeah, contrived yeah yeah, yeah. People seem to say, I mean, it's well. They also like the movie, which is not very good, and they like the speech in that movie, which we went way back in the teens of the Green Light Pod, uh, the annals of Green Light Pod history. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked about speeches and uh, the miracle speech. The um, the who was it? The Kurt Russell speech. I didn't think much of it. Um, also, LeBron James with no regard for human life. That's since we're on, that's just yeah. I could put, you know, that dude in here like one through 10 if I was ranking them. Um, you've got Ewing missing the layup. For a, a Knicks fan, that's tough to say, but the ding-dong, the witch is dead is great. Mm. Um, you know, I touch them all, Joe, is a real iconic call. They did not let that breathe, right? Yeah. It's like kind of the opposite of what we've talked about, but still iconic. Yeah, and we are, let me shout out my radio people. We are just talking TV. Yes. There are some iconic radio calls where you should not be letting it breathe so much because we can't see what's going on. Well, there's kick six. I mean, and a lot of that lends itself to the locals. Yeah. Like, you're going to be excited, kind of like what Joe was talking about. Like, I like that raw emotion. Frank Quayle in 95, work done, stopped at the goal line. I got no, no, they're going to say no. I got to hear it. Virginia's going to win the football not game. Not now, but I got to hear it because awesome. I, yeah. I mean, the Giants win the pennant, but like most people my age, like who cares that the Giants won the pennant? Well, hey, 86 Masters. I don't care a whole lot about Jack yeah. Nicholas winning the Masters, yeah. but Vern Lundquist, there's a putt it's on its way. Maybe. Yes, sir. Yep. Brilliant. Love I, that call. Listen, I love hearing people call the Masters. I've never gotten into watching it, like, but the highlight calls, it can, it's like artwork. Yeah. You know, because some of the best guys are doing golf. Some of the prettiest pictures are on the screen. I would watch the heck out of the Masters right, oh, right now. now? <laughs> oh, if you could watch the Masters, what would you do to watch the Masters right now? I mean, I would just guarantee you that I would watch from first tee to the last guy on 18 yeah. without a break. Yeah, yeah. And that's not easy, but I would, I would, I would guarantee you that. Would you, would you buzz your head to watch the Masters right now? Uh, yeah, I guess I got married, so there's not we're not really you would buzz your trying head. to show off anymore. What would you would you buzz your head to watch the NCAA tournament tournament yeah. right now yeah. tournament tournament? Wow, careful! No, I was I was playing like kind of like we say Tuesday. Yeah, I'd uh, I'd do most anything to watch that tournament right about now. Who's finished number sixteen in the final? Would AGP you let ball? Mike Tyson punch you in the face? Um, yeah, just once. Yeah. The band is out on the field. Another great call. Band is out on the field. That's one that I didn't bring up. Uh, listen, it's so iconic, it seems chalky. Um, but if you had to rank them, that's up there. I mean, as far as calls go, that's top five. I, I'd have to look back and see how good those teams were because th- those are local guys. So it's kind of made to seem like bigger than maybe what it was. I don't know. Maybe those teams were really good back then. Wasn't John Elway playing in that game? I'll let you know. If Tyson's punched me in the face, I also, I rid the world of coronavirus. I mean, because we oh, get yeah, the yeah, tournament yeah, back. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Would you die to rid, rid the world of coronavirus? Yeah. yeah. No. Wait. What do I, honest or no? <laughs> you have to say yes. Well, I'll give you, you want me to be honest? Yeah. 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 You got to. Yeah. You got to. 
Yours for thousands, you got to. Yeah, I was thinking of my lovely wife, Kate, in that moment when I said yes. Yeah. She might be upset. Yeah. I was thinking of uh, who's the older lady that everybody freaks out about every time she's training, uh, trend, trending. Betty, Betty White. White. Yeah, she's still alive. For Betty White, for like Kareem, for like older people that I'm really, you know, I'm the opposite of that spring breaker. Your kids. Well, yeah, but we're not worried about the kids as much right now, right. God willing. So um, back to the lighter topics. The play. Who's going to the Patriots? Bo, Bo Allen's going to the Patriots. Nice. I resisted the urge to give it the scoopage. You know, you knew. When did I'm, you know? I'm really excited about Bo Allen. I can't say when. I'm really excited about Bo Allen. Bo Allen is going to be the perfect Patriot. The perfect Patriot. The worst, the, one of the worst things about New England, if, if you're counting bad things, is the weight room is unrelenting. Like, it's just, hey, lift this car today. Like, you just got done, you just got done doing 80 plays on Sunday. Hey, put this sob on your back and squat <laughs> it 100 times. You don't see so many sobs anymore. You don't. Shout out to Action Bronson sob stories. Oh. Now, Bo Allen will lift the house. He's perfect for their scheme. Bill's going to love him. Um, I think he's just, he's just going to thrive. He's a big, hairy dude. It's cold up there. You know, he's like a modern-day Norseman, and that climate is conducive to Norsemen, and they're going to love him up there. And when the Pats and the Bucks meet in the Super Bowl, he'll have all the Tampa Bay secrets. He will. They'll be grilling him. Cal won that ball game to go to six and four Stanford fell to five and five like it was a who gives a fuck ball game yeah that's the thing that people forget yep people are forgetting um okay let's get into our uniform rankings Tom Brady's obviously changing teams hey Chris give us your take on Tom Brady changing teams he was in New England for 20 years now he's somewhere different it's going to look really weird and I don't know I think he's still really good I love Tom Brady he kind of gave him the, uh, the fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. I'm out. You had the meme with uh, the moving meme. I don't know what they're calling these with uh, Ben Affleck and Jeremy Renner. You saw that one with Julian's face on Jeremy mm -hmm. Renner. Really creepy because at the end he's, he's like, you could tell your people. <laughs> I can't do the fucking accent. Every accent I try to do, whether it's New England or Chicago, it just ends up being like a New York accent. But he's basically like, Tell your fucking people to end up, come see me in fucking Florida. You know, like, good, really eerie. And in fact, last night I tweeted, hey, when the Simpsons, you know, you pull up some Simpsons episodes that predicted Tom going to Tampa, I really believe the Simpsons mm -hmm. thing. Some guy produced a screenshot, a still of a Brady character on the Simpsons standing next to Warren Sapp and a couple others. And there was a uh, some sort of a, a boat reference on a sign. <laughs> like they were going to some boat show or Tom Brady is going to play in front of a pirate ship. The goat is going to play in front of a plastic pirate ship. I know uh, folks like to deride Pats fans because they've seen a lot of winning of late. Yeah, the last 20 years. I, uh, I do feel for them. I know when a Wahoo leaves after three to five years, I'm in my feelings. 
I can only imagine. We don't, I didn't really grow up with a pro team. I can only imagine four or five Xing that and having that be a part of your life for so long. Sorry to get serious for a moment, but I can imagine that people are sad and I. Uh, but I there's feel a for detail, you. and I'm not saying this. There's a lot of Pats fans who have been, you know, Pats fans since the stadium was, you know, uh, I forget what the name of the stadium was, but uh, when they wore the the red and and the white and you know the better unis and. You know, I, I bet you if you asked a lot of young Pats fans to name um, five pre-Brady Patriots, they'd have a hard time. Yeah. Uh, so the difference is there, and this is just for the Pats fans who got on the wagon 20 years ago, which if you're a kid, I don't blame you. You're a kid. You grew up in New England or you didn't. This is this team that, you know, provides you the stability to enjoy football for the next uh, 10, 20 years. Now it's gone. So as I joked, uh, you know, Pats fans and uh, Gen Z are experiencing their first challenges of their existence. A lot of Pats fans, um, you know, those in the 25 to 35 range for sure as Pats fans. We'll see what happens. So it's going to look weird no matter what. Like they're not going shot clock numbers anymore. They're changing the uniforms. I don't know if they're going creamsicle. They might be going, you know, Mike Allstotts. Just go back to creamsicle. Just do it. What's the holdup? And the and rumors are that the Pats are going to alter their unis too. They should. They should. The Flying Elvis, as uh, Dave uh, Damashek says, uh, should go uh, with Brady, and they mm. should go back to the red and the white. That'd be great. Or that color rush that they wear that you probably wore. Uh, the all blue? The, this guy. Not a fan of the all blue. You don't like that high tower no, jersey? No, I like the high tower jersey. What you doing with the pant? Yeah, it's got, well, I would just do all blue. Okay. Yeah. All right, so let's get to uniforms. We, you're, uh, the weirdest uh, Twilight uniform pairings. And we've got honorable mentions here. Uh, but I'll let you start because I started with Bill Walton at the top of the show. Okay, naturally we'll do our top seven. Because that's yeah, seven is a good number. Folks yeah, do. yeah, yeah. At seven, I had seven is a touchdown. That's how many points a touchdown and extra point count yeah, for. Yeah, with extra fo- point. football pod. Yeah, Brett Favre is my number seven. You can see him here in the New York Jets green and the uh, Minnesota Vikings purple. Not to be confused with the Green Bay Packers green and yellow, which he wore for a long time. Um, this was v jarring the. Um, what I need for something to make this list is a player who is synonymous with a franchise, one franchise, and then you have the late career move where you're saying, golly day, it would have been a whole lot cooler, in my opinion, if you had stayed with the same franchise the entire time. And I know players and franchises get to impasses, um, some get cut and it's out of their control, but Favre was a shocker. Shocked the system. It did. It was a real shocker. Number six, Carl. No, wait, Malone. can I talk? Can I talk? Can I say something? Yeah. I didn't think this was that weird. And I did see your selections beforehand. I didn't think it was that weird because he was he performed well in both places, especially Minnesota. So it like took some of the edge off. It was less of a sad story. It was like he went to New York. Hey, listen. I remember we went to play the Jets. And they told me, hey, if you sack Brett Favre, you're the first father-son combo to sack the same player. Wow. We lost 40 to nothing. So there weren't <laughs> a lot of drop-back passes there. Um, and I was young in my career. They, they still were pretty good with him there. Um, they were great with him in Minnesota. 
save for a bad decision in the NFC Championship, they're probably going to the Super Bowl. Yep. Six, Carl Malone uh, in that flashy L.A. Laker yellow. The mailman belongs in Utah with John Stockton for the rest of time. That was a hilarious team. Yeah, who else was on that team? Gary Payton. Yep. And then, uh, and then they ran it back with the zombie team with Steve Nash and Dwight Howard at a later time, not to be confused with this iteration yeah, of the dude, Lakers and Dwight Howard. Just... Uh, but Carl Malone, man. Um, I'm going to be saying the same thing over and over, synonymous with one franchise. Also very synonymous culturally with the Utah region. Like just cowboy hats. Just really leaned into that thing. I'm full out. Carl Malone. And he's from Louisiana. Yep. So he went from the bayou to the uh, high desert and the, the mountains, and he just thrived, you know, beating people up, threatening to beat people up, and then, shooting guns. And then over to La La Land. And then to LA, where he, that's not as, that's more frowned upon. Mm-mm. Number five, Joe Montagna. I remember this well. And did you see what I've done here? I've put him next to that Steve was slick. Young. Yeah, yeah, if you're watching on YouTube.com. Uh, next to Steve Young in the Niners Uni. Uh, Montana, I have this memory of his thinking about or opting not to or not being able to get. I can't imagine he wasn't able to get, but not wearing the number 16 in Kansas City, mm. sort of leaving it behind in San Francisco. Uh, everything about that is weird. And Do you remember how they fared those two years, though? I, it's a rhetorical question. They were in the playoffs both years. AFC Championship one of the years. Mm. So for me, like... For you, if, if you do well, it's okay, huh? If you do well, it, it, it softens the blow to me. And then also, like, the Chiefs were kind of an iconic franchise. The color scheme's not too far off, so it's a red team. Uh, had he been playing in Miami for the Dolphins in obscurity, uh, I'd, I'd be even more weirded out. But I also remember playing with him in the video game in Madden in like 93 or 94, like that was kind of an interesting, like, oh, I can play with Joe Montana. This wasn't, you couldn't just create your own teams back in the day. Number four, Patrick Ewing. Seen here with the Seattle Supersonics. You know it's big going against the Knicks. You know it's a big deal when today in 2020, I pull this up and I still say, wow. Yeah, dude. You were like, was he on that NBA Finals team in 96 or 98 or whatever it was? Nah. nah. This was a forgettable 2000, 2001. Yeah. One year in Seattle followed by one year in Orlando after being with the Knicks from 85 to 2000. Really odd. And you just tell how much people love the game to leave after 15 years with one franchise to go prove something. And I guess the checks are good too, though. Yeah. 13 a game for Seattle and 15.6 for Orlando when yeah, he, he was, retired. Yeah, he was still balling. Uh, game started for Orlando, four. Another big man to talk about, and I don't think he's on your list here. No, he's not. Uh, Hakeem in Toronto. Oh, yeah. Or Charles Oakley in Toronto for that for that matter. Yeah, Hakeem in Toronto is worthy of this list. Just for sure. Didn't even remember it, to be honest. You know what those uniforms remind me of? Those Sonics uniforms remind me of? And I, I like the Detlef Shrimps the best. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also like those um, because back in the day, I used to like the Sonics because Frank Bukowski was on there. Right. Uh, buddy of my dad's guy I grew up hanging out with. Um, still a good friend to this day. Got ejected from the game. Got into it with Rodman in the finals. The guy with the military cut, um, awesome dude. 
was a really good player for a long time and bounced around, but I used to watch those games and that was the year when on Gatorade bottles, they had the caps. Do you remember the caps? Yeah. And you, everybody wanted to get bowls and six. Yeah. I remember that well because our good friend, Ali Swanson, stole my cap. Yeah, you maintain that to this day. Yeah, he stole my cap yeah. at batting practice. He says he doesn't remember. Yeah, he had bowls and six. And what you did, if you, want, if you got bowls and six, um, or any competitive team, but you knew it was probably gonna be the bowls, you got like a Gatorade towel in the mail. <laughs> so that was a big deal. Yeah. It's like um, when we were all beginning to realize how serious coronavirus was yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and they had literal uh, families with their babies crawling on the floor of the ACC tournament mm-hmm. um, in a baby race mm-hmm. to win a backpack. Yeah, you know what? That's a little bit more misguided than than mm-hmm. collecting Gatorade caps, but yeah. the juice is not worth the squeeze. Correct, nice. Um, Okay, so you're at number three. My number three is Junior Griffey, and I'm glad I got that out. Last time I tried to say that on this pod, I said Junior Griffey. <laughs> and uh, I just thought that the Seattle Mariner, King Griffey Jr., number 24, was awesome. The tops, amazing. And then he goes to Cincy, uh, where he wore the number three. He also wore the number 30. He later goes to the White Sox. It was just very off-putting for me. Have you heard him in the booth? No, I don't think so. It's interesting. It's interesting to hear his voice. He's one of those guys who played in an era where you didn't hear guys' voices. And then, like, by the way, he's aged terrifically. Um, but the White Sox, I was going to ask you if you, you'd, you remember him in the White Sox. I think a lot of people remember the Reds. Some people might not remember him at Comiskey. Yeah, and what I tried to do here was the first jersey gotcha. after the one we remember. Okay. My number two is Michael Jordan, seen here on YouTube playing against the Chicago Bulls. I did it again. Yeah. Um, what can you say? I, I wasn't a Bulls fan. I wasn't, um, I was an MJ fan, I guess. Uh, but no matter, you just, you want him to stay in the same place. And he didn't. Yeah, you know what, for me, I think that the Jordan with the Wizards thing was, has been so inflammatory for people our age that the, the sting wore off. I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. But it's hard to not. When, he, when you're the GOAT. Yeah. Kind of like perhaps what Mr. Brady's facing here. I think it's a little bit different. I think Brady's going to be more competitive than Mike was in, in Washington, and the team might be as well. Why'd Tom title the tweet forever a Patriot? As I grab, question, I grab my mobile and read it, I was like, oh, of course. It's a good question, because now you can get down there and Bruce Arians is going to be like, what team do you play for in front of the locker room? He's going to be like, "Yeah." I mean, I'm currently on the Bucks, but I'm forever a Patriot. Yeah. Not going to play so well in the locker room. That might have been the lead. By the way, shout out to Pats fans. I got my Patriots pants on. Oh, cool. Yeah. It looks like a sweat pant. Yeah, uh-huh. I got those when I played for the Patriots. Nice. Um. Number one for you. Hall of Famer who played for the Cowboys for a long time. This shocked my system to the core. You don't remember this? Emmett Smith. What do you mean I don't remember this? This is Emmett Smith in the bright red Arizona Cardinals. Very bright. For which he uh, played two years. The picture, if you're on YouTube.com, looks like a commercial, like an ad. And he just like knows he's, he's wearing the wrong uniform. He knows. He knows. He knows he's done something wrong. Get that check. Um, Emmett, 
Cowboy from 90 through 2002, and then gets a couple checks with the Cardinals. Post Y2K was playing football. Super weird, playing football in the desert, probably running a 4.8 at that point. Yeah, when we were in college, he was playing for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so that's your list. list. That's a good list. Applause. Thank you. Okay, my number seven. This is uh, not one that looks that weird because it's fairly recent. Uh, but I think that the nature of wearing two division rival uniforms uh, at the end of your career is super weird. It's Andre Johnson. Yeah. Uh, and that's him in Indy and Tennessee. I think it looks even weirder in Tennessee. Agreed, just because um, of the uni. Big target receiver in Tennessee. Um, you, you had, shout out to Kenny Britt, uh, who, who wore the powder blue as a big guy out on the edge. Also now you've got... Uh, What's his name? I haven't been doing football in uh Davis. Davis. Is that the huh? What the fuck is the guy's name? Brown. Yeah. Brown. Brown. That sounds right. What can Brown do for you? He can do a lot. Yeah. He can do a lot. Um big targets. That one not as iconic um because he was at the end of his career, but two division rivals. So Houston Texans. Yeah. A good uni. I need to bring this up quickly. You think? Yes. DeAndre Hopkins, low key, the Arizona Cardinals today have the worst uniforms in the league. Uh, higher than low key. Now, they don't have the worst. The well, worst now that Tampa, Bay. Tampa. If they went back to the Pat Tillmans and threw DeAndre Hopkins in those. Fine. I even think they, with they the need Arizona's, to go somewhere else. But yeah, the, flag. That, the sun. Yep. Oh. Yep. Swag. And uh, DeAndre Hopkins and with Kyler Murray and Christian Kirk swag and Kenyon Drake is going to be, that's going to be too cool a swag team to city. have. They're not even going to let me in that city. Uni. There's so much swag. Right. Friend of the program sat next to D-Hop, as I call him, at the, uh, the NA, NFL Honors. Cool. I call him Nuke. Yeah, Nuke, yeah. Um, number six, I've got uh, the Minister of Defense in Carolina. Mm. Reggie White in Carolina, the picture. I did your thing. He's tapping Brett Favre on the helmet. Old buddy, yeah, I'm in Carolina uh, finishing my career. Um, I don't know what made him do it. He still was playing pretty well. He had almost six sacks. He had five and a half sacks that year. Um, but he did it, and I was a big Panthers fan, as you remember growing up. Forgot about that until today. Um, yeah. Yeah, forgot about it. Number five. This is, uh, this is a weird one for me. This, this was one that I completely forgot about as well. It's Randall Cunningham in a Dallas Cowboys uniform. V Strange on my list as well. V Strange, also those uniforms uh, not synonymous with greatness. Nor really with the Cowboys. They rarely wear them for, yeah. for good reason. Yep, they're like the early Tony Romos. Well, and they try to wear white every single yep. week. Yep, And a couple teams... But I'm, you know, you play in Philly for eleven years, and then you you end up in Dallas, and I'm like, when was this? This is Randall Cunningham again playing football post Y2K. Make it make sense. And and when he played for the Eagles, Philly, go back to those. Oh, go back joints. to those uniforms in a heartbeat. Number four is one that made me sad, partially because I know this guy's in bad shape physically. One of the best backs of all time, uh, Houston Oiler great Earl Campbell, also played in New Orleans. And it does not look like Earl Campbell if you're watching uh, on YouTube.com. Nope. It looks like uh, 
you know, if Earl Campbell didn't have a Snickers. Right. He's in a cloud of New York Giants. Bad uniform. The Giants are just the Giants are just giving him the 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 business right now in this picture. And he's wearing black pants, white top, uh, not a great uniform, especially uh, back when he was playing. And I don't think the Saints were very good there. And that's what makes that so sad is you've got a guy who didn't play in Houston. I mean, this is a guy who's reduced to like a wheelchair now. I think he took such a beating uh, in Houston and playing running back back in that era. The shelf life wasn't long. He wasn't in Houston as long as you think. Five, six years, finished his career in a Saints uniform. Super weird. Also want to enter into the conversation here, running backs uh, ending up somewhere else. E. Dick, Eric Dickerson in Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. Running high as a mug. If you look at those pictures, E. Dick is like six foot five running uh, because he's, he's older. That AstroTurf hurts. He played his whole career in sunny California. He also played somewhere else as well. I'm forgetting. It's escaping me. But Atlanta was the bitter end. E. Dick was a Ram, a Colt. Colt. A Raider. A Raider was the weird one. And a Falcon. Um, okay, so my number four was Earl Campbell. My number three is going to be Gordy Howe. Nice. With the Whalers. Looking like he missed the cut for a Cialis commercial. Like, he's 52 in this picture, which is ridiculous that you're playing a sport like that. Again, not a contact sport, a collision sport. And I'm pretty sure they weren't wearing helmets back then. This just looks ridiculous. Why are you out there? What are you doing? I know you love the puck, but um, you're 52 and you're playing for the Whalers. You see that there's an H in that negative space with the uh, with the whale mm-hmm. tail. Mm-hmm. It's one the of the w- best logos. HW, beautiful. I love the whalers' uh, get-ups, which are no longer in existence. Number two, this is one that blew my mind. Franco Harris, do you remember where he played? Pittsburgh. Seattle is where he finished his career. Frank, <laughs> Franco Harris. With some evergreens there in the background. Yeah, just hanging out probably by the facility. It looks beautiful right there by the Puget Sound. Nice. And those uniforms, those Steve Largents are magnificent. But, um, you know, he played, okay, Franco Harris in a Seahawks uniform. It definitely looks like a Halloween costume. It's definitely out of this world. 1984, he was released after a contract dispute. He needed 300 or so yards to become the leading NFL rusher at the time, ended up with 170 and was cut in eight games. By the way, Franco Harris, one of the nicest dudes I've met that were Hall of Famers. Super cool. So you can check that one off. Yeah, 12,120 career yards, 170 that year in Seattle. Such a nice dude. It's a good call by you. Uh, Terrible... Not a terrible uniform. It's a great uniform, but it just, it, I never knew what happened. Uh, number one, it's going to throw you for a loop here. This is somebody who was in the ring, so to speak. Okay. Kane. Patrick changing Kane. uniforms. That's quite the chain. And running for mayor of like Knox County or something, like Knox, Knoxville. Uh, I don't know if you can be a mayor of a county. You can, yeah. Um, he is mayor of Knox County. Yep. Knox County, you know, smiling with a microphone in his hand, going from looking like Hannibal Lecter wearing what it's either pizza or somebody's flesh on his face, um, just this big smelly looking demon 
to a guy in a suit that looks like you'd love to have a beer with him and talk about policy. Seven foot, 323, Glenn Thomas Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane. A.k.a. Born in Spain. Was he? Yeah. I knew he was worldly and cultured. Honorable mentions here. You got Bruce Smith in Washington, who you brought up. Hakeem in Toronto, and that came up. Robert Parrish, you brought up in Chicago. What about Robert Parrish in Charlotte? Yeah, both very strange. The Chief, the Chief. is a Celtic. Yeah, you know why they call him the Chief? Why? Is that right? That's the rumor. Ray Bork, you brought that one up. The Avs. Jerry Rice in there. Seattle. Yeah. Those and those unis were just awful. Abhorrent. He really he did that uh Northwest Tour. Tour. Did yeah. the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Did the Seahawks after and his illustrious career. Lastly, um Tony Parker and Charlotte. Not even good uniforms. You play your whole career somewhere as iconic as San Antonio. You end up in Charlotte to finish it out in those weird like Jordan Brand cartoon unis. Bring the bring the pinstripes back. Give me the Muggsy Bows. The Tony Bennett's. Give me the Grandmama. The Grandmamas. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also mentioned uh Joe Namath, which makes who makes all these lists, but I didn't really, you know. Yeah, yeah. You think he's a jet and the Ram uni looks weird? It looks weird. His face mask looks really weird if you look it up. Wasn't really around for it. And then Dominique Wilkins apparently had a stint with the Boston Celtics. Which is crazy. Ronnie Lott with the Jets. Really weird looking. And at that point, the Jets fits looked like uh, C-A-Y-F-L. That's Charlottesville Area Youth Football League. Uh, I believe that's the acronym. Just pulled that out of my ass. I didn't uh, play in that particular Um, league. Yeah, you probably didn't make weight the other way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Shaq played on weird teams. Robin with Dallas. Uh, you got a bunch. We can go on for days. Wayne Gretzky, St. Louis Blues. And those blues. Uh, vibrant. Vibrant, those uniforms. Uh, the, the sweaters, yeah. the jackets, as they call them. They blues call them uni- the sweaters. Blues unis are awesome. Oh, no. In general. I'm sorry, no. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's for another day. The, there are some old blues, yeah, yeah. which have more of a Carolina blue to them. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. But we'll, yeah, we'll talk about St. Louis Blues another time. So, anyways, that was a packed show. But I thought it's one of our best shows. Yeah. Well, who knows? You know? Let the people decide. I might be in a good mood, but I think, uh, I think it's one of our best shows. Okay. Great. So, y'all, uh, y'all make sure you take care out there. We didn't ask for the pandemic. We're certainly hoping that people stay safe, stay home, uh, continue to socially distance if you can, limit your contact with people. But I will say that we will thrive in the pandemic because we are like fucking encyclopedias of rank, rank-worthy stuff. That's right. And, and we'll, we'll send be us here. your thoughts yeah. uh, virtually. I am going to do something uh, with your voicemails that I promised that I would do. We've run out of time. I'm going to release a separate um, kind of Q&A response to your little voicemails. A lot of you were pretty fucked up. Y'all take care. Bye.